Welcome to the Jack Weston MCAT Podcast with your host, Phil Hawkins. And Asai Calderon Muñiz. Welcome to the Jack Weston MCAT Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Phil Hawkins, the MCAT director here at Jack Weston, and a uh, person who's been to med school. Um, here with... My name is Zai Calderon Muñiz. I'm currently in medical school, um, second year, and really excited to continue this podcast. We've really enjoyed getting to chat with you guys about topics that um, we had difficulty with, so you don't make the same mistakes, things that we've learned along the way, both teaching for uh, for Jack Weston, right, as part of the company, also just in general, our experience with the MCAT, we've been teaching for a little bit, and then in our cases, uh, also what we've learned starting medical school, Phil having done medical school, myself being in it, and trying to incorporate that so that you guys can get a uh, holistic taste of all things MCAT related. Yeah. And it's something that like, I have such strong thoughts about, like I sit and think about the MK like, like every day, pretty much at some point, I'm like thinking about what's going on with the MCAT or an MCAT topic for like a decade. Um, and so over time, like you start to develop opinions and I really love this podcast gives us an ability to like, okay, I have some very strong thoughts on this and like how things could be better and help you guys avoid some of the pitfalls that we've come across. But I do want to do a quick shout out. If you guys have any um, comments, if you're listening to this, on uh, YouTube, feel free to drop some some comments, um, you know, about things you would like to hear more about uh, or, or anything else, anything along the MCAT journey. Uh, if you're liking it, if you feel like we should be talking less about something or more about something else, please let us know because we're definitely open to feedback. But oh, whew, all that spiel out of the way. Um, today, we're talking about the bio section, um, which I know I talked about how last time Kim Fizz was my favorite um, bio is maybe my least favorite. Turns out <laughs> biology is really big in medicine. Who knew? Um, so it's not, it seems like as I, you have, we have an opposite viewpoint of me there. Yeah. So anyone who's heard me talk, uh, cars is probably my favorite, but biochem comes very close second. Um, maybe that's why I'm in medical school questionable, but, uh, no, I think that it's, it's one of the sections where, and, I guess I'll start us off on this. Um, it's a little bit of everything, right? So we, last time we talked about how chemphys was a little bit of every topic. Uh, I think biochem is a little bit more of every style in the sense that there are some things that you do have to memorize. There are concepts that you need to have really strong foundations for. There's a lot of building on um, topics as you learn more about them. Uh, so it's it's like the jack of all trades. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's a really great section. I think that it's also can be really tough because, and Phil and uh, Phil, we were just talking about this. There are some parts about the biochem, bio-biochem section that can feel pretty unfair. Um, you're seeing a lot of things that you haven't necessarily seen before. People have very, I would say even more uh, varying exposures to some of the material that's tested in this section. Um, but it's really going to force you to put that thinking cap on, work that brain. Um, yeah. So if you don't feel a little bit tired by the time you finish bio biochem, let me know your secrets. Because even in medical school, there are times where my brain is a little bit tired after going through what feels like a bio biochem section during a, a course. Yeah. And you're right. There are a lot of different things going on in the bio section. There is, I feel like more memorization with biology, which to be honest is probably why it was my least favorite because I am inherently lazy. I want to like teach me an equation that I can apply to 10,000 scenarios rather than make me memorize 40 things. 
Um, and so when it comes to the MCAT, there's a lot of stuff that you do need to memorize, like amino acids, hormones, like what's going on in the digestive tract, the path of blood and the circulatory system. But the, a lot of those things you just kind of have to memorize overall. And that is uh, something that can be a little bit of challenge because it is quite a volume. However, I don't think that that is the biggest challenge most students have in the bio section. Very often the biggest challenge bio students have is, is just like the data interpretation, which is like what we're talking about with it being kind of unfair. You can graduate undergrad with a biology degree. And, and remember, you don't have to have a bio degree to take the MCAT, right? I know a guy that has a degree in evolutionary linguistics. Like he's a, he's a physician and that was his bachelor's degree. So he just studied like language. Um, and so like somebody who is like studying biology in their undergrad has more exposure to biology than, than even the, like the, like the average MCAT student, those, those students still have not been exposed to the level of biology that's showing up in the MCAT, especially in the way the, the passages show up. Um, journal articles on the MCAT, the first time a student looks at them, they always feel overwhelmed and that's partially by design. The MCAT writers are throwing things at you that they know you've never seen before, like new techniques and new like diseases and new hormone interactions and drug interactions that they know you've never seen before. It's like if you finish a, a, a bio section and you have already known about every protein or drug that they talked about on the test, like that would be miraculous. Um, nobody knows all the things that they're going to talk about on the MCAT. And I, I don't mean like, like just because it's, it's, you know, nobody is like studying well, but like nobody is supposed to. So the MCAT writers present all of this data at you and they throw it all at you in this like big pile. And like, if you have not been doing like, if, if you've been a PhD for 10 years and you've been writing journal articles, it's going to feel fine to you. If you are not that person, then you're going to look at those journal articles and you're going to be like, what is going on here? What's going on with these experiments? Because they are like, they're very dense. It's very hard to read. And so learning to, to deal with that is, is a huge challenge on the MCAT, separate from just memorizing all the stuff that you need to memorize. And so that the memorization stuff is something that is, I think, a little bit more on the bio section. There is a fair amount of that in the psych soci as well. Um, but like, I think what separates the bio section from all the others is just the level of data interpretation, the level of the journal articles and the readings and things to pull. Um, and so I think that's what separates that from, from everything, everything else. Yeah. Um, I just want to touch base on a few things with the memorization before hopping over back to the data interpretation. Uh, this is this comes from both studying as a pre-med and as a med student. Um, when you have to sit down and memorize, for example, a bunch of hormones, some students will do really well with flashcards. However, there are many of us who are not, our minds don't do well with flashcards, being very frank. Um, so something that I have found really helpful and that I've passed on to my students over the last few years and that I use in medical school and I'm constantly adapting um, is trying to make a story out of it. So for example, thinking about the digestive, well, let me back up. I said hormones first. So with the hormones, something that I did while studying for the MCAT that was really helpful was I made a very crude uh, map of a human being, right? So just general 
circle of a head, square of a body, not an artist. Mm -hmm. um, feel free to make it really nice if, you, if you're artistically inclined. And then I actually drew an arrow to the major organs that were producing the hormones, right? So hypothalamus, posterior pituitary, anterior pituitary, et cetera, wrote down the hormones and then what they did. And once I had that sheet down, I create a little bit of a story. Okay, so if the calcium levels change, right, which hormones would change in response to that? If the blood pressure changes, right, which hormones are being released and how are they responding? And I found that really helpful. Similarly for the digestive system, just because this is a uh, this is a an organ system that rarely gets any love until you get to medical school. And then mm -hmm. there's a whole, you know, um, you're going to spend mini weeks on it. Yeah, <laughs> spent weeks on it. Um, so I found it really helpful when studying for the MCAT and then for medical school, things change a little bit. But for the MCAT, imagine that you are the cheeseburger. Then <laughs> that was just because that was the example that was given um, at one point. But you are the cheeseburger. What's happening to you at each of these different stages? Right. So what enzymes are and, you know, at play in the mouth versus, you know, in the stomach, what is being broken down versus absorbed, right? The difference between those two and how they differ in the stomach versus the small intestine. You know, what's being released from the pancreas that is going to affect you as the cheeseburger, whatever you're eating. Uh, maybe it's a Beyond Burger. Uh, what, how is it affecting you, right? As you go through, by the time you get to the brush border, right? What's left of you and how are you being transported? Um, so those little stories can make it a little bit easier uh, just to kind of get through that memorization if you're not someone that's super, you know, memorization inclined. Um, with respect to the data interpretation, yes, yes, yes. So I was a Spanish literature major. However, I was really lucky in that the undergrad program that I attended had a um, set of courses for non-biology pre-med majors. And so one of the things that they knew that we would need um, is to learn to read some of those science, you know, journal articles that we weren't getting exposure to in any of our other courses, right? Because as much as I love, you know, Spanish language and literature and, you know, reading, um, I had a name in my head, but I was like, that's not relevant to this. Um, <laughs> it's not going to help me when it comes time to analyze journal articles and determine whether the science is sound, whether the research is sound, what the results are actually saying. Uh, and so most people don't have courses that are designed with that in mind. And so like Phil said, that can be really unfair for folks who, and feel really unfair for folks who are coming in that don't have that very, you know, super strong um, bio background. And so something that I recommend to students and that one of my, um, I also worked in a lab and that my PI suggested was read a scientific, you know, article on something that you're not interested in and then sit down and really break it down and say, okay, I don't have all of, you know, I don't know what reagent this was and that's mentioned in the methods, but do I really need that to understand the overarching idea? Do I really need that to understand, you know, what the results are saying? So learning to parse out what is critical to understand the results and what's not critical, right? But can be supplemental if you, if you happen to have more background with it or, um, you know, more background um, understanding it that can be a really great first step, right, to making sure that you get more comfortable with these really uncomfortable articles and pieces. Um, like Phil said, you are probably going to sit down and read an, a passage on testing. You're going to be like, what did I just read? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, how am I supposed to understand this? I don't know anything about this disease. I don't, you know, I barely remember the content that I was supposed to study regarding this organ system or whatever it may be. 
Um, so getting used to that discomfort, but also knowing what's worth being uncomfortable about can be really helpful for for this section and easing the nerves because I will be the first to tell you that it's really easy to get nervous during a test. And as we've talked about, you do not want to be so nervous and stressed that you get a brain fart, right? Yeah, <laughs> just like blank. Exactly. And so honestly, right, it's making sure that there's a balance. You're balancing, memorizing some of the content, usually not the most difficult part for most students. You're balancing exposure to um, diseases, disorders, lab techniques that are very unfamiliar and being mm -hmm. comfortable with the discomfort, but also recognizing what's important while you're uncomfortable. And then there's also the date, the actual data interpretation, the figures, the tables. Um, this is a little bit more nitty gritty, but something that I've noticed a lot of students forget to do is read figure names, descriptions, titles, legends. All of that stuff can be super helpful. I can I can visualize at least two or three either figures or tables that I have seen on MCAT passages that at the bottom say, oh, this, you know, the data or the line, this line on the graph is not important or not relevant. Or, you know, the they'll tell you what's statistically significant, even though you have no other way of knowing except for the little asterisk, right? So they will orient you as to what's most important because they know that these can be super overwhelming, that um, the, the way that the, the data are presented can be very foreign for a lot of people. So letting those tidbits guide you can also be a great way to ease some of the stress and just be a little bit more successful on this otherwise hectic section. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely like several questions from the AAMC that I've seen. Like the answer is just in the explanation, like and for the figure. And so you got to pay attention to those. And like the axes, what are they labeled? A lot of times you can get answers just by kind of like focusing in on those things. But there, there's there's kind of a lot of things going on here. And so we're, we're trying to tell you like ways to make it a little bit less overwhelming, a little bit less stressful. But it's, it's going to be overwhelming. Like the normal response to looking at a passage in the bio section is what? Like, what are they talking? What is it? What's going on here? That's, that's the normal experience, especially at the beginning. And this is why we say it's like a little bit unfair because there are things that they're throwing at you. But to be honest, once again, I think that they're doing this on purpose for a couple of reasons. First off, as a physician, you need to be able to deal with things that you are not expected. If you are thrown in the deep end, all of a sudden somebody's bleeding in front of you and like you aren't even in the hospital, you can't just like shut down because you don't have all the tools and all the knowledge that you normally have. Like normally I'd like to run an EKG on this guy, but he's on the sidewalk here. I can't run an EKG. And so you need to be able to deal with the scenario that you're in. And so I think that that's actually an important skill that the MCAT is subconsciously trying to test. Like, can you can you deal with unexpected stuff? Um, so if you are not ready for this, so, so you're, you're kind of supposed to be not ready. So that's, that's actually a thing that is very uncomfortable for a lot of students being shoved in those scenarios. The second thing, like they could do a lot of stuff that like unexpected, but why the data interpretation? Why does that need to be unexpected? Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be the data interpretation that's unexpected, but you do have to be good at data interpretation as a physician you are only really good at data interpretation if you've like read like 50 or 100 journal articles and really dissected them. And most students haven't done that, even if they have like a bio degree. Um, I feel like I got a bio degree and I looked at like three or four journal articles, which is kind of an embarrassment that I was able to like get so far in my career without actually understanding like research. 
um, or like reading other people's research. So a lot of students get to this point, they like get to the MCAT and they are not great at um, interpreting data. You have to be great as a physician because your education doesn't stop when you graduate med school and like you start practicing. Um, all the doctors I knew like when I was in med school, I'm dating myself here a little bit, but the hepatitis C vaccine or, or cure came out um, when I was in med school. So every doctor I knew was reading up on this. So they're reading the journal articles. They're going through that. Um, when you're a physician, like pharmaceutical sales reps are going to come to you and like say, like, you should use our drug. Here's all the data on it. And I don't mean to imply that they are like anything bad about pharmaceutical sales reps, but they get paid to like when you use their drugs. A lot of times their drugs are awesome, but you need to be able to look at the data yourself and not be convinced by some, by, by a salesman to say like, okay, this is like a very valuable drug. This would be really useful for my one patient, patient Bob, but not good for patient Steve, because it seems like there's some side effects here with respiratory stuff. And patient Steve's got some weird respiratory stuff. So I probably don't want to give them that drug, but Bob, this would be great for it. And so you need to be able to like dive into the data and understand the implications. So you have to be good at this as a physician. Everyone's bad at it in undergrad. So the logical thing is like, let's teach them to do this in med school. Azai, you would probably agree that you probably don't need more stuff to learn in med school. Um, I know at least for me, I'm like, no, like you cannot add any more information for me to shove in my head. Mm -hmm. So what the AAMC does is they put this all on the MCAT. So because they don't have time to teach you in med school and you have to be good at it later and you don't get it before, they're just throwing at it, throwing it at you now. And so you have to be good at doing this data interpretation to do well on the MCAT. So you will be good at data interpretation later on as a physician. That's a little bit unfair because like, no, there's no step of this where the, anybody is teaching you this, um, which is why like the MCAT takes like months to really thoroughly prepare for because you have to teach yourself new, not just knowledge, but skills, like interpreting data and things like that. And that is very much a skill. And skills only really get better with exposure, which is why you have to see lots of passages and and improve on those. Yeah. Um, just because every so often we throw in a psych-soch psych term, um, thinking about making sure that, or the idea of interpreting a message based off of its merits versus how flashy it is or who's necessarily sharing oh, the message. Yeah. That's the difference between central route of processing and peripheral route. So we want you to use central route of processing, interpret the message on its own merits um, when yeah. you're when you're using uh, when you're looking at these passages. Um, no, but in, in all seriousness, it is something I thought, I thought that, you were talking about the pharmaceutical sales reps and being like, yeah, so like, I oh, was they're really attractive. Don't use the drug just because <laughs> it's like a very attractive person convincing you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the and you think about the the person there, I was thinking about just like the flashiness of yeah. of um of it all. But yes, the idea here, right, is that there's a lot of there's a lot that's overwhelming. There's a lot that is difficult that you're not familiar with. That said, right, you can still break down even the toughest of research methods and um, experiments, right? So something that I like to tell my students and, and something that I have found helpful for myself is have questions that you ask yourself and use those as a benchmark for whether you're really understanding the basics of what's happening. So the first thing is I'll ask myself some iteration of what's the question? 
that the researchers are trying to answer. Because if I can't figure out what they're trying to figure out, right, what actually matters to them, the, my interpretation of the rest of the passage, the rest of the data, et cetera, is going to be really off base, going to be really skewed, and I'm just going to struggle. So having that general rephrase, readily accessible, super helpful. And I'll work through an example in a moment. I'll try and go through this a little bit faster because I know I talk a lot. Um, the second yeah. thing is, what did they change, right, or manipulate, how and why? Right. So you're hinting at the difference between the dependent versus independent variables. You're hinting at um, what made the independent variable special enough to measure. That's a question that they like to ask quite a bit on the biobiochem section. Right. Why did the researchers measure whatever protein in the cell, um, et cetera? And then what are the results? So in layman's terms, right, what are you seeing? What are the data telling you? And then I also like to incorporate figures, tables um, as kind of the fourth question I ask myself, just because those tend to get skipped over. But I think that a lot of questions are based off of the tables and figures, and they don't always send you back explicitly to a table and a figure. So having some general idea of what's on that or what's um, what information is presented in a table or a figure can be really helpful. So for example, let's say that I'm interested in, um, okay, so what makes what makes blood I was gonna say not pink, red. I have a pink drink on my on my desk. Um, so right, what makes blood red? And the researchers, so that's their question. And they decided to measure um, the amount of red blood cells, right? Just because that's the first word that comes to mind. Um, so one of the questions you might get is why did they measure the red blood cells in the blood, right? So right there you have, by answering the question, right, what they're interested in, becomes clear why they're measuring the red blood cells, right? The data might include um, the amount of red blood cells in different, you know, samples of blood. And then they might ask you to relate. There might be a fourth question, right, on the MCAT that says, okay, based off of the results in the table, right, that showed a positive correlation between red blood cells and hue, um, you know, what would you expect with this if you had a sample that was low in red blood cells? whatever it may be. So those are all different ways that the MCAT can, and I, that was a very, very crude example, but the mm -hmm. idea remains the same, right? Um, they, they can ask you about the same information, right? The same relationship, the relationship, whatever it may be between red blood cells and how red blood looks, right? And then they can ask you that in different ways, but it's all valid. It's all different ways of interpreting the data. And so getting comfortable with each aspect of, um, the research can be helpful to help you tackle the data interpretation from different angles, if that makes sense. Yeah. And like, I, I worry, like there's a good chance that like when we start talking about this, like students will like glaze over because they're like, I don't understand what's going on. And like, I don't understand what these things are, how they're interacting. And, and that happens during test day as well. And there's a lot of students that understand like everything they need to know, but then they see this passage and this question and it's so confusing and overwhelming that they'd kind of just like throw up their hands and say like, I can't do this. And they like just kind of give up in a way. Um, like if they, if you had a question and a passage, let's say the question was, how is combrostatin going to affect the MyoD Delta E9 mutations uh, dysregulation of the JAK-STAT pathway? And like a lot of students are going to be like, I, I have no idea. Or, or let's say the question was, how would you like test this, um, this, like this, this combrostatin's effect on this? Like a lot of students are going to be like, well, I have no idea. But like, if I asked you, like, how would you figure out if basketball shoes make you a better basketball player? 
everyone's like, well, I play basketball with shoes on. I'd play basketball without shoes on and see when I did better. I'm like, yeah, same thing. Um, so you take this myOD Delta E9 mutant, like some of these people you'd give conversation to some you wouldn't. And then you just look right. And like, see which one's better. And that like so many students will see a question like that and their brain will immediately like shut down. Cause like, I don't know about these, these mutations and these drugs and these hormones and like this cascade, like I've, I'm completely over my head, but like, you don't need to know about that. Like what they're asking you is about like the scientific reasoning. And so they're purposely trying to throw you in over your head, as we like mentioned before, you know, kind of like in this, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> this wasn't what I expected. I don't know a lot about this and just see how well you can. Okay. Well, let's just take what I can do and like, see what I can figure out from this. And that's, that's very hard. Um, I know when, when I like make the question about basketball shoes and playing basketball, it's like really obvious. Everyone's like, like this is, this is something I do with students all the time. I like ask them a question and all the, like, it's a room full of like 30 students and they're all like, I, I don't know. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's ask this question. Like, let's do the basketball shoes. Does that make, how would you figure out that makes you better or worse at basketball? And everyone like immediately jumps to it. I'm like, okay, well, this is the same thing, right? Like if you want to see how this affects something, do it with it, do it without it, see what happens. And that's, that's such a, like a simple idea, but students get overwhelmed by all of the stuff going on and it's, it's designed to be overwhelming. And so it's a little bit unfair, but, um, that's, that's something that is important to, to realize and just kind of like take the basics and like the reasoning. The other thing is the more of these passages you see, like the easier it gets and like the first ones you see are going to be very difficult, but the more you see, the easier it gets because like science writing is another type of writing. It's, it's like reading something in old English, right? Like if you, if you try to do that, it's like really, really difficult, right? To kind of like read English. I mean, it's still English, but it's not how I'm used to thinking and reading. And so it's just more difficult. Um, I have a story about trying to read a Dickens novel that is very related to this, but I won't jump into that now. But like, it's kind of a, a similar thing, like trying to read a science journal article is it's just very difficult because even though it's in English, it's kind of written in a different way. And that's something that most students are not doing like on their own, like students, like if I like read Harry Potter for fun, I'm not reading like, like this Delta Myo DE9 mutant, right? Like I'm not reading a journal article about that. And so students have to relearn how to read those kinds of articles and how to process them. And at first it's always going to be bad, but you need to make sure that you are reviewing them. And like, you need to make sure that at least in hindsight, you understand everything that was going on in this passage. Now, like on a practice exam or something like that, you might be a little bit overwhelmed, but when you review, go back and look at that. I know we talked about that a fair amount in our, um, like how to review a full length episode that was like, I think a couple of weeks ago. And that that's like a, a big thing overall. And I know that we're talking about the bio section, but the, this stuff of like dealing with the data interpretation, it's, it's the worst in the bio section but there's still a lot of it in the chem phys and in the psych soch. And so like working on this, like if somebody's struggling with this data interpretation, it, it tends to affect the bio section more than the others, but it will affect the others as well. Every section, except for cars, because there's not a lot of data interpretation in cars. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, so, and this 
like you you mentioned in uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how to review a full length and we talked about determining why you're missing questions in each section. This is where those full length reviews, when you get to them, can be super helpful um, mm -hmm. to narrow down what what your problem area really is. Um, a really quick note on, you know, students who might be thinking, well, Phil, you're not with me to rephrase the questions, right? So how am yeah. I supposed to do that? Something that I've uh, I think can be really helpful for some students is for, for example, pathways or passages with a lot of gene names in them that are really tough, um, replace it with an A, B, or C, right? And mm -hmm. say, okay, so if gene A does this and its product inhibits gene B, right? And then gene B stimulates gene C, what happens, you know, the, the translation of, or the transcription of gene C, right? What happens if I decrease the transcription of gene A or something like that? Um, it'll simplify it as you're first getting used to the way that the MCAT is presenting the information, as you get used to um, the way that journal articles and, and scientific articles write the information that are and also present the information that um, that you're going to be working through, find ways to simplify it yourself. And that way, by the time you get to questions about the data, right, questions about the research, you already have such a clean schematic in your mind that the questions become a lot easier, right? Now, granted, don't rewrite an entire passage with A, Bs, and Cs, but the idea remains the same. It's also something that you can do um, with, with a lot of different topics in, in bio-biochem, I'd say. And so try it out if you're really struggling with interpreting the passages. Try and simplify the passages before you try and simplify the questions and see if that makes a difference. And if it does, then, you know, you move, keep moving forward, keep practicing. Like we said, uh, you're going, you're, the practice is really the best way to, um, to get used to this style that you might not otherwise be used to, but finding something that works is golden. And so if that means working on the passage, instead of immediately jumping to tackling the questions uh, or changing how you tackle the questions, go for it, try it out. Yeah. I, I do the same thing only instead of like A, B and C, I actually give them names. It's like protein, Bob, phosphorylate Steve, which turns him on. And like, that's, it's kind of like a weird, and actually now that I say that, that sounds a little strange. Um, but like, that's sort of just like naming, like giving them names instead of like, you know, like a, a big pile of letters. Like that's, that's hard. I, I call those passages avalanches of jargon where it's just like this whole passage is just piles of like, you know, the STPLN for mutation of the XKY, which was tested in the ABC cell line of this like specific species of Xenopus, whatever. And it's like, like, that's just like hard to read because none of these are words. They're all like piles of letters and Xenopus is maybe a word, but it's Latin. So that doesn't count. Um, and so that's, that's something to, to be aware of is, is, you know, like rephrasing it in ways that make sense. I also I don't, I don't take notes as much in the chem phys as I do in, in other sections or in the bio as I do in some of the other sections, but I will take notes on like interactions between proteins. Um, and so if I have this big like passage about how this protein activates this one and brings the retinol inside, which is in phosphorylated and then sent into this pathway, I'll just like do a, a quick sketch of like retinol, like draw a circle for a cell, retinol enters the cell and a lot of times looking at that figure is way easier than trying to read this paragraph. And so I, I feel a little bit like a five-year-old at times where I'm like, give me a picture book and not like a word book, right? Like, and so just having this like quick sketch of like the, the stray six receptor binds retinol 
brings it inside. And then, then it interacts with CREBP1 or LRAT, the luciferase retinal something transferase. Um, and so like these, uh, it's lecithin, not luciferase. Um, <laughs> that's gonna, that was going to bother me. But like, that's a really complex thing. But if I just do a, a quick sketch and I say like retinol binds stray six, and then inside is CREBP and LRAT, and they like take it and do stuff with it. And those, like, that's like a, a really easy image for me to read rather than like trying to read and dissect the passage. Um, and I think that that's, that's useful, especially when you're reviewing, if you're like going back and looking at a passage or if you're practicing with passages kind of upfront, I think that doing some things like that and like doing sketches to just help you understand what is, how, what is this passage actually telling me? The more of those you do, the easier it gets. And so maybe later on, you won't need to draw like a, like a thing to understand how these things are all interacting, but it's not a bad idea at first to just kind of like check and make sure that you understand that idea of like understanding at, at the very least in hindsight, because all these passages are, there's like a certain limit to the sorts of information the MCAT can test. It never feels like it at the beginning, but later on, as you like start to go through more and more stuff, you're going to realize like, I've seen a passage kind of like this before. Like, oh, they're using the same technique that I saw in that, that passage like a long time ago. And like all of a sudden, you're going to know enough and these are going to be easy enough for you to read that you'll be able to like, like this, this just makes sense. Where I just like read this. This was the 50th passage I've done. This just makes sense. The first like 30 made no sense, but this one just makes sense. It clicks. Like, obviously I know what they're trying to do because I understand what they're, they're saying, but that's not the default position for most people. And so that takes a lot of review and practice to get there. Yeah. You should always make sure that for every passage you do for every science passage that you tackle, like Phil said, you need to make sure that you understand it and how it was tested afterwards, right? So even if, and this is something that I've seen a lot of students do, um, and I think in part it's because it's really uncomfortable to sit through and, and work through really difficult passages, they'll say, well, I didn't know that, right? And then just move on to the next question. And they'll mm -hmm. say, oh, that was content. I didn't know that. And just move on to the next question. When a lot of times, especially for these bio biochem passages, there's a lot of information embedded in the passage that even if it was a little bit of content that you didn't remember, you still could have answered it based off of the information in the passage. And so making sure that you're keeping track of those types of questions is important be just because something looks or feels like a pseudo discrete doesn't mean that it really was because there's information in the passage that helps you answer it. Um, so that's one of the pros and cons of, that's, I'd say, the, the bio That's bio huge, mm -hmm. especially the further you go, the more you understand. Um, there, there's a lot of times I'll read a question. I'm like working with a student and there'll be something about like, like, where is this protein found that is important for the infectivity of Ebola? And I'm like, all right, are we supposed to know this? And they're like, I don't, I, I don't know it. I don't think like, is, is, are we supposed to know this? I'm like, no, like this is not something we're supposed to know, which means the answer is in the passage. And so you like go back and you look at the passage and it's like, well, like only one organelle was mentioned in the entire passage. So that's the answer because like, this is not something they're expecting you to know. So getting a good grip on like, what stuff are you being held responsible for and what stuff are you not helps you understand like when to turn internal to like find the answer in your head and when to go external, like where's the answer just somewhere in the past, just go find it. Um, but that also comes with exposure. Um, and the more you see the better. I do want to do like a, a quick like think, I actually think there's a lot of like differences between test prep companies, but the best resource for working on this 
is always the AAMC with um, especially their section bank. I love their section bank. Um, it is very difficult and painful to get through, but if you can make it through the section bank, then you can handle any passage you want. That, that's why at Jack Weston, we just focus on the AAMC resources because they are, they're the people who write the actual tests. And so we teach based off of what is going on there rather than like what some chemistry professor th thinks, how they, they think the MCAT is going to test you on something. And so sticking to AAMC materials is good. Um, obviously, we also have our like Jack Weston daily passages um, that we release that are also really good practice for wanting to deal with that, just like data interpretation stuff. One last thought, because it came to mind as you were talking earlier. I don't know if you could see the visible jump. Um, I, that one. Every once in a while, I see like your face do something like, all right, as I have something to add. <laughs> My face gets me in trouble a lot. Um, <laughs> so something that is also really important when you're going through the, the bio biochem section is always keep track of what organism type is being used in the experiment. Eukaryotes versus prokaryotes. It's such a it's such a basic difference in the sense that, you know, it's, it's a eukaryote versus a prokaryote, but there are so many questions that they can spin off of those differences, right? And the differences mm -hmm. that come with that. And so I've seen so many students, brilliant students who have so much content knowledge and, and ability to apply that knowledge. And then they'll miss questions consistently because they'll be thinking about, okay, well, um, let's say that it's, you need to move something, you have something with a, a short half-life, right? And it needs to travel and they're asking about how it's going to move within the cell, right? And they forget that we were working with a prokaryote, not a eukaryote. And something might mention the mitotic spindle, right? Something might mention, you know, an, or, an a particular organelle. And then you're like, well, wait a second, prokaryotes, right? Don't yeah, have, have membrane-bound organelles. They right. don't undergo mitosis. So they'll be drawn to uh, answer choices that don't apply to the specific organism type right in the passage. So super, it feels super silly that I'm saying this, but I've seen it happen so many times that it's worth mentioning. And that's why I think I lit up like a Christmas tree when I thought about it. Right. Um, but it's especially it's no because often the MCAT will have multiple things in the passage. Like here's a bacteria that we like put the gene in that's normally found in a mouse, but we put it in this bacteria and they're asking me like, what's going on there? I'm like, ah, it's a little bit different between the two. And that, that can cause a lot of issues. Um, or certain, like everyone just thinks anything small is probably a prokaryote and like that. Nah, it's not the case. Like yeast, it's a one cell organism. It's a eukaryote. Um, parasites that like, like malaria is a parasite that like lives inside your red blood cells. That is a eukaryote. It's not a prokaryote. So just because it's small doesn't mean it's a prokaryote. You got to be careful because I know that gets a lot of students as well. Yeah, it's, it's, in the, it's. The devil's in the detail, so to speak, but at the same time, right? Notice that, yes, it's it's one detail that we mentioned, but it ties into these really big overarching concepts and differences. So when you come across something like, man, I just missed that small detail, ask yourself, okay, well, what what are the big picture tie-ins with this? Um, because like we've mentioned, biobiochem, different than some of the other sections, right? In the sense that you have a lot of different moving parts. Um, you have that for all of the sections, but you have a little bit more heavy, uh, it's a heavier lean towards data interpretation. Those smaller ideas or those smaller um, notes in the passage that relate to much larger ideas become very important for the data interpretation, for the analysis of the experiment, whatever um, is is happening in that bio biochem passage. Yeah, that's... That's like a super important thing. And like, there's, you know, we've, we've been focusing a lot on the data interpretation, but there are just some topics that keep showing up over and over, like the difference between prokaryotes and eukaryotes. 
amino acids, which is like the single highest yield thing. If you ever see a, an amino acid mentioned in the passage, there's going to be a question about it. Like there is, there is definitely going to be like, make sure to pay attention to that thing. Um, there might be two questions about it. And so that's, there are just certain things that are really high yield. Um, the thing is, like we mentioned, that tends not to be the biggest challenge for a lot of students. And so the idea was talk about like what's going on with the challenges for each section. Um, but I, I guess in a way that like learning that, like that vast amount of like just details is a little bit of a challenge. I think just most students have gotten to the point if they've, they're taking the MCAT, they've learned how to incorporate facts. They've learned how to like pick up facts and, and like lists and things like that. But that is something that's super important, especially because bio is just so high yield. Um, the, the number of chemistry and physics combined questions you're going to see on test day is about 35. The number of bio and biochem questions is uh, 75. So you actually have more, more than double the amount of bio and biochemistry than you do chemistry and physics. And so like that's that's way higher yield. And so you want to make sure that you really know bio well because it shows up in every section except for cars and you need to be able to um, you know apply this everywhere. And so even though like a lot of the stuff we're talking about here is specifically about the bio biochem stuff, it really applies to other sections as well because there's some some crossover. That's just how the MCAT works. It's no longer the clear defined like this is a chemistry passage. This is just bio. This is just orgo. Now everything's kind of integrated and bio is the predominant thing that you're going to come across in each passage. For sure. Um, so we talked today about bio biochem. Last week we talked about chem phys. We have another section coming up. See if you can guess which one it is. Um, go ahead. Remember to hit that uh, like button, hit the subscribe button. Let us know in the comments if you're on YouTube um, what strategy you found most helpful in our conversation that you think you might apply or that you're looking forward to applying or any little tidbits. Um, we love to hear from you guys. And then stay tuned for our next section next week.